Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. I watched the first season, I would actually, because that was back when you had to watch stuff on TV, I'd actually stay home and wait for it to come on and watch it. And it was on, like, Saturday nights here. So it'd be like, my friends would be like, let's all go out, and I'll be like, I'll meet you guys there. At like midnight, because this is TV show. I got to watch at eleven, and they'd all think I was nuts. You know, they used to make these things called VCRs that you could have just probably used. Yeah. Do you? Did you ever meet anyone who learned how to program a VCR? I knew how to program a VCR. Did you? Yeah. Probably. Could I, mean, have. I mean, not like a complicated Canadian one, probably, but. Is that? You think our, our VCRs were like, it's because with the metric system, you can yeah. set the time properly. Yeah, it was the metric system. That's what fucked everything up. Or as the rest of the world would say, those non-metric system using assholes screw everything up. Yeah. The other 99% of the population <laughs> of the planet that uses the system. can't believe we're all wrong. Yeah. Who's, who's playing music in the background now? Who's, who's watching a trauma movie? I'm looking at the, the trailer for Chopper Chicks and Zombie Jam. Um, the trauma music's enough to convince me we're not doing it next week. <laughs> Listen, the Boneyard's not trauma. So your kid wouldn't go to sleep? He yeah. came downstairs and he's like, he walks in and I'm watching Enemy Mine and he's like, who's that guy? And he just jumps up on the couch. He's just like, <laughs> can I stay down here? Eventually, there was a mom involved, and he had to go upstairs. I was going to say, you're such a good parent. You're like, sure, why not? Well, as he was being taken upstairs, I was like, don't worry, buddy. When you're a little older and you can appreciate this, we'll rewatch it together. (laughs) (laughs) Did I want to watch it? No. I mean, he would have fallen asleep anyway. It's late, but it was pretty funny. (laughs) Now now that he... uh, now that he had got sent to bed, I'm not sure the ending is entirely appropriate for a baby, but... <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. There's a guy that gets thrown through a meat grinder and another guy that carries around his ear for a while. I was going to say, it's it's semi-Disney. For Well, we'll talk about it whenever we get to the damn show. Well, let's just get into it. Noah, tell us about ending mine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we, just for the record, before we get started, I want to point out, we just had trouble segueing from a discussion about Enemy Mine into a discussion about Enemy Mine. That's how bad we are at segues on this show. Uh, uh, no, we'll proceed. Uh, so, so Enemy Mine is uh, the story of Dennis Quaid, who's a uh, space 
fighter pilot guy. Uh, there's an intergalactic war, which they not so subtly inform you at the beginning of the movie is basically humans being humans and pieces of shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do believe their exact words is, we went to colonize these planets, and there was aliens on them claiming squatters' rights! <laughs> how, how dare they be like, uh, we live here already. Assholes. Motherfuckers. <laughs> Anyways, so the Space Indians are uh, a a race of hermaphroditic lizard people <laughs> called the Drac. Uh, during a space battle, he and one of these Drac dudes end up kind of simultaneously taking each other out of the sky. They crash land on a planet, and they get stuck there for three years and have to learn to be best buddies. Is it three years? I didn't know how long it passed. Three years. Yeah. Uh, during that process, unfortunately, Lizard Boy dies, but not before giving birth to his son, Samus. Human guy ends up basically adopting him and kind of being his weird pseudo dad uncle. <laughs> his uncle. His, his uncle. <laughs> Just teaches him to play football and stuff. Zamis uh, gets abducted by slavers. He gets wounded and the end of the movie, like, it goes from Disney to Total Recall real fucking quick. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, am, I, am I wrong? The tone, like, there's a, you know, there's a major tone shift. Dennis Quaid is knocked unconscious, and when he wakes up, it's a different fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, it turns it turns into, like, a fucking 1970s revenge movie in space. <laughs> yeah. But basically, he goes on the warpath uh, and gets Zami's back and basically kills the shit out them slavers. <laughs> I mean, that's the gist of it. It's it's kind of a war buddy movie thing. Uh, while I was watching it, I felt because this is my first time I've ever seen it. Really? Uh, yes. Wow. But okay. I feel like there has to be like some sort of story of well, like these two soldiers were marooned during some war and became buddies and that's they're like let's make a sci-fi movie out of that yeah, well, that it's, about right. it's the classic the defiant ones if you guys have ever seen that movie it's about, it's about a white guy and a black guy chained together they escape from prison but they're still chained together so they're on the road and they both hate each other at the beginning but then they have to become friends in order to in order to yeah. uh, to get away kind of thing. That's that's what this is. It's the old saying, you know, you can it's easy to hate from a distance. It's hard to hate when you're up close with someone. Mm-hmm. And that's the message they're trying to put through here. They've just decided to tell it in a very nineteen eighties way by right. set it by making one of the people an alien and all, all that kind of stuff. But it's it's a classic message. It's a positive it's a positive message. But it is it's very it's very Star Wars influenced in the way they decided to spread that message. Yeah, and I'll tell you one thing. This movie didn't just age well. I think it's aging like wine and becoming like better and more relevant the more older it gets. Weirdly, well, yes. Be- because whenever they made it, they made the aliens hermaphrodites because they just wanted to make them as as different as they can. But like with current politics and all the weird gender identity and stuff, it's just kind of fascinating that you know, not not only are the humans 
plagued with xenophobia, but they're basically completely fucking transphobic, too, because they're like, they don't even have sexes! Oh, the monsters! <laughs> yeah, it's it certainly, it's a it's one of those stories that can be reinterpreted for the ages, and I'm sure that particular element of it in the in the '80s was just oh neat. Those things can have babies without even having to, you know, just by themselves. And I'm sure there was a weird discussion of does that make Louis Gossett Jr. a woman in this movie? I don't understand. And then the answer is basically no. But it's funny how that can be misinterpreted or reinterpreted now with the current climate. I also think that in the 80s there was a an attitude around a, a divisive attitude between the races and stuff and that is certainly back in full effect right now and you know sort of us having maybe being of the age where we were children when this came out would have been in high school in a time when things were a little less tense uh, as far as the divide between various members of our society and now re-experiencing this divide again um, this movie sort of seems poignant in a way that's kind of like, oh, this this cycle just keeps repeating itself, and so these stories that were made as morality, t- <laughs> yeah, so these morality tales from when we were children are now once again relevant when they maybe were slightly less relevant a few years ago. It's interesting. Also, cool alien planet and spaceships and stuff. All that was fun. <laughs> just so we don't get too serious. Yeah. Did we mention that uh, Louis Gossett Jr.'s portrayal of the alien in this movie is fucking phenomenal? Like, oh, it's, it's, it's amazing. next-level acting shit. Oh, yeah, the, and the makeup effects are fantastic, and then his acting underneath them is fantastic, and that combination is just is great. Like, they create this character, even though he can't speak English for the first 45 minutes of the movie, they eventually teach each other languages. But so this alien is just doing these funny noises, and you can't really see his face properly because of the makeup or mask, whatever it is. But he still creates this really cool character underneath all that. It's really well done. Yeah, they did an excellent job with the makeup of allowing him to emote with like his just his eyes and his mouth. Yeah, it's really it's really a fine line they walk, and they do a really good job of having the. He looks completely alien, but he's still able to make humanized facial expressions. So even though his head's a different shape and all that kind of stuff, he's still able to express in a way that the audience can understand what he's thinking and feeling, which is really impressive to pull off. Right. Uh, I think all the humor holds up really well. Like, the funny parts are all still funny. Yeah. You know all the jokes about Mickey Mouse? (laughs) <laughs> the Mickey Mouse jokes, yeah. Well, and the part where he builds his first shelter, and he's like, and he picked up some English, too, and he goes, shit! <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the movie was so well made that if you only spoke Drac, it, the scenes would have been funny as well in the other sense when <laughs> Dennis Quaid tried to speak things in the other language. Right. <laughs> you did... Uh, accidentally bring up one of my criticisms of the movies and this is because this movie was made in the 80s it has this weird 80s trope of they assume that our society will still think all this the classic stuff is the classic stuff so there's still like their classic idea of a character is still mickey mouse even though it's hundreds of years in the future and they still like 
his still his instinct is just to teach his kids football. Like they haven't developed any new games or sports. I was I was gonna say, you know what the sad thing is, is uh, with them changing all the copyright laws. That's that's pretty accurate. That's <laughs> might be the case. Although I'm surprised he isn't referring to them as the Overlord Disney Corporation. <laughs> they'll own everything. Yeah, it's just. That was actually the, his ploy to get picked up off the planet. He just used the term Mickey Mouse, and he assumed somebody would come to pick up their copyright fee, and he could just hitch a ride back to Earth with them. Right. <laughs> so, so Brian, first time watch, you got you got to get give us more. What'd you think? Uh, sorry, I was reading trivia to see if there was anything interesting, which apparently the Drax language was completely made up from scratch, and apparently most of it is Russian said backwards. Huh. Really? Yeah. Cool. I mean, that's what Louis, Louis Gossett Jr. said, anyway. Sure, if you want um, to believe that guy. <laughs> you want to believe that Iron Eagle son of a bitch? Uh, it was pretty good. Uh, it's not as serious of a movie as I thought it was going to be. Um, for some reason, I always thought it was this like super serious, uh, almost drama between them being stuck on this planet together. But there is a lot more levity, as uh, we have mentioned, until the stark turn towards the end of the movie. <laughs> the total recall moment. Yeah. There is, in the interest of fairness to the movie, that turn, There's there, the opening of the movie has some very dark moments as well. Yeah. Because there is, like, when they first crash land on the planet, the uh, the Drac character goes underwater and lose or uh, Dennis Quaid's character lights the lake on fire in an attempt to kill him. And it's like, oh, that's... And he's, like, laughing maniacally while he's, like, thinking he's burning this thing to death. It's like, oh, alright. You guys are gonna be friends later in the movie, eh? Okay. Well, even, like, back then, I was gonna say, I feel like Dennis Quaid's portrayal is a sort of a comment on sort of just Americans in general. Where he he's like, oh... I guess swimming. Okay, I'll set this lake on fire. I'll kill him. And then when he doesn't kill him and the Drax has taken him hostage or a prisoner or whatever, he still starts acting like a baby. Just like, I'm hungry. Feed me. Like, <laughs> like all this stuff. Like, I know I just tried to kill you, but now now I'm uncomfortable. So you need to, you need to help me. And he just feels like entitled to all that stuff. Accurate. Yeah. That's a really interesting take, actually. I, cause I, I remember thinking it was a weird moment in the film when he starts just, like, insisting on getting treated fairly, even though he was clearly trying to kill the guy a minute ago. <laughs> um, but the idea that that's, that, that's a, a direct comment on American society is interesting. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it was back then. I definitely feel like it is now. But, yeah, I mean, it's just... Uh, yeah, I got myself in trouble now. Now that I'm here, you have to make up for it by giving me what I want. Right. I would say with the beginning and the end of the movie and some of the language, what age of person do you think this movie was made for? Because it sure as fuck feels like a kid's movie for most of them. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's a PG-13 movie. Yeah. In 1980, so. what was it? 87? 85. 85? Yeah, so keep in mind 85, same year as Commando, which was considered a kids movie at the time. Um, so I'd say, yeah, ages 
zero to 15 probably this movie was aimed at definitely like they'd say oh it's pg-13 parents be careful when you're letting your kids walk across town to the movie theater because it's the 80s and just giving them money and hoping they come back alive um i will tell you this i was definitely watching this movie whenever it came out and we said it came out in 85 correct yeah which would have made me two <laughs> which yeah because which seems a bit par for the course yeah, I mean, I mean, I certainly, I, I would have watched it when it hit. I, I seem to remember that we had a VHS copy that we taped when, like, the movie channels had like a free weekend or something. Yeah. And so that would have been, like, I assume if this was an '85 movie, I assume it hit the movie channels in '86. I don't know. So I'd have been seven, watching this repeatedly because aliens were cool. Do you remember? Do you remember that weird life that we used to live? Where it's like, oh, like the movie channel's having a free weekend, so we should tape every movie, just to, oh, yeah. so we'll have to have it to watch after the the free weekend's over. Yeah, yeah, it was a different. It was a different time where definitely and a lot more rewatching the same movie because yeah. oh, I just got to rewatch this a hundred times until there's another free weekend, and then I gotta like gotta if I know the free weekend's coming in advance, I'll ask my parents to buy a new one of those little three packs of tapes all wrapped in cellophane. <laughs> I was gonna say if I if if some weird way I get to tell my sixteen year old self, eventually you're gonna have access to so many movies that you won't even be able to decide what you want to watch. You'll spend hours just being like, "What do I want to watch?" And then you'll not watch anything, and you'll go to bed because you have too many choices. He, his <laughs> mind would be blown. Oh yeah. I think just explaining to teenage version of us that like okay so you're gonna just watch a movie and then when you you just you're sitting on the couch you pick up the remote you're like TV remote no it'll be a slightly different remote but you're gonna have to hit a few buttons and then the movie's just gonna start you're like well how did it get in the player I don't know <laughs> there's not even a copy of that movie in your house but somehow it's just magically on your TV it's like oh okay. They're going to be like, that's some Star Trek bullshit. It's like, are you sure you're not talking about a science fiction movie? Do you want to go rent the movie you're talking about right now? <laughs> Speaking of the sci-fi aspect, what do you guys think of the creatures on the planet? Uh, no one wants to talk about the movie. We're talking yeah. about our fictional 16-year-old no. self. No, for, one, for once, Noah's right. We should be talking about the movie. <laughs> um, I thought the creatures were pretty cool. Little, yeah. little cartoony. A yeah, puppety, but I, mean, I was I'd... gonna say it seems to fall right between a serious, like uh, a serious science fiction movie, and like labyrinth-esque Jim Hansen creatures. Yeah, because he, like, I mean, when he's hunting those creatures, and then he figures out that after they kill that like crab-looking thing and eat it, they're like, "Oh wait, we could make our shelter out of these shells." All of a sudden, they have dozens of those shells which means he has killed and eaten a lot of those things oh, you and, were not paying attention Doug no? the little sarlacc pit thing was eating them and spitting the shells out all around its, oh. its little uh, I was too pit. busy I was too busy making a mental note of different points when this movie ripped off Star Wars and I was like Sarlacc Pit is the most obvious one yet because even the little tentacle tries to pull Dennis Quaid in and Lewis Gossett Jr. has to shoot it like a blind Lando or so. 
And I'll, and, and I'll tell you what, even though it, I think now when I rewatch it, it seems a little silly. Whenever I was a kid, man, that Sarlacc pet monster thing scared the fuck out of me. Sure. With its horrible little grabby tentacle thing, especially whenever it like, rips up Quaid's leg. Ooh. Yeah. And then, of course, because it's the 80s, you have to have the scene where you just like cauterize the wound. Mm-hmm. That's how you fix everything in the eighties. Fixed. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. For a first time watch, I ended up enjoying it. I wasn't sure at first, but I think it ended up uh, playing out pretty well. Right. Oh, so the thing I was going to talk about. So, so Doug posted, sent us the picture of his his son who decided to stay up because he really wanted to watch the be mine. Apparently. He's two, uh, by the way, for those keeping track at all. Hey, see, he's he's on pace to be me, Doug. Oh fuck! <laughs> Doug fucked up, son. <laughs> but uh, what it, one of the things I always tell people is uh, there are not a lot of moments in my life that I regret not having children. Like, but watching it in mind is one of those moments because I'm always like, you know, what? if I had a kid, I would have so much fun showing my kid this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I it thought we were going to get I would have so much fun bonding with my child showing them how to play football like in this movie uh, reciting some weird uh, prayer or whatever the fuck it is they're talking about but now Noah's is I would show them this movie that would be the fun part that would be the fun part watch the cool movie with your kid and it's so cool I just remember whenever whenever this I was small, so probably from the age of two to about ten, I probably watched this movie a bajillion fucking times. I love this fucking movie. What's funny for me is remembering from as a kid is I remember all the parts of them becoming friends and getting to know each other more so than I remember the big action moments. And I think that's because that's what this film does uniquely, rather than um like the action moments are not necessarily good compared to a lot of other action stuff that would have been available at the time. But this movie brings that human element to it that a lot of other films just skipped over. Yeah, and I think the in the life lessons that the movie's trying to teach, I think it teaches them in a effective and emotional way that especially if you're a child watching it, kinda sticks really, really well. Because I think like a kid audience watching this movie would be naturally inclined to like the alien character because he's just fucking cool looking, and so you're just gonna be like, you're not, you're automatically gonna kind of be on his side, even though technically you know you're supposed to be on the side of the human. And I think it's gonna make them coming together and become friends that much more emotional for a a kid watching this movie for the first time. Yeah, yeah, I know the big. The, I think the biggest part of the movie that always stuck in my head is the scene where him and Zamas are talking and they're looking at their hands and, yeah. and, and Zamas figures out that he's different than his father figure and how difficult that is for like a child to understand to learn that they're different than everybody else that's a really effective moment like I think it's really good and I think it's really neat too because then like Dennis Quaid's character who hated these aliens at the beginning of the movie is now telling him like no it's okay that you're different and the only reason you feel weird is because you've never seen another another one like you but you're just different you're not necessarily worse and I thought that was a 
it was a really good way to show how like people when they're forced into a situation where they have to get to know someone of a different race or gender or whatever will eventually come around and just be like yeah it turns out this one's okay and therefore in theory i shouldn't hate all of them because maybe the rest of them are okay too which is i think they did a good job of doing in the movie where it wasn't heavy-handed but i think it is effective and is if you're watching the movie and looking for those moments it's well done yeah i think my other favorite part of the movie is that even even after the end of the movie where the uh the space military kind of swoops in to help out him and the child even after he just fucking stole a space jet and blew a hole in the side of their ship. Yeah. Because they didn't open that goddamn door. You warned them. He's door. like, open the door, I'm the door, I'm going through it. And they didn't open it, so he blasts his way out. Yeah. Man, that's a so good scene. At that point he's just full on eighties action hero. That's <laughs> But I think the I think this the cliched ending would be basically, you know, the the narrator voice saying, you know, and it, and that was the beginning of the end of the Drac War, you know, they he taught everyone to respect each other. But but instead it's just, you know, he ends up taking the kid to the planet and singing the song and all that. And it's the idea of you know, maybe you can't change everybody's mind, but at least you can like do your little itty bitty bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is one thing I was going to comment that I actually really enjoyed because, yeah, I mean, it, I like that it, this was meaningful to everybody who was directly involved with it. But I mean, you know, civilizations weren't going to make decisions on it just because one guy raised this little kid and he was different and was really nice to him. And they weren't like, oh, well, maybe we should all be nice. Like, I'm just glad that wasn't like like the point of the end of it no it's it's a very personal story despite the fact that it's about this ongoing war and you know at the the end there's a slave revolt and things like that but it ends up being it's all about these individual characters and him going to the drac planet and saying the speech or whatever like based on what we were told earlier in the movie that kind of cements the legacy of the Lewis Gossett Jr. character and it makes him part of the ongoing line of whatever that's important to him anyway. The point being is it's important to him so therefore his friend is now making sure that he gets that honor. Mm-hmm. Just, and then he, he gets the honor bestowed upon him that he is actually part of that legacy as well. Right. But yeah, but it's not it's not a then the universe was a peace type moment. It's like this no, was important. Poor. This was important to all these people that we just said, but everything's still going on around us that we kind of have to deal with too. Well, even the even the moment where like Dennis Quaid goes into the slave camp looking for his his you know, quote unquote son, he leaves a lot of guys working in a slave camp and just <laughs> lets them be, and he's really only there to save the one, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's. I mean, it's completely understandable. That's, for all intents and purposes, his kid. Um, he's not worried about everybody else. But on the other hand, it is kind of... It, it, it does better than... It's, it's a better storyline than having him become, like, the hero that saves everybody. Yeah. Because they do use this as to, to rise up, stuff like that. Um, but it's not as though he's now fighting for their cause. He's just there trying to trying to save the people that matter to him. 
Mm-hmm. Agree. He also gets to spout off a bunch of cheesy, cheesy lines. Like at one point, he's like wearing like a disguise, and they're like, "What's going on?" He goes, "Trouble." They're like, "What kind of trouble?" And he goes, "This kind." And then he throws his disguise <laughs> up and knocks him down, and it's like, "Oh, that's fantastic!" That was the most 1985 line in the whole movie. <laughs> that was good. Oh, damn, that's cool. So why did you pick uh, this movie this week, Noah? Uh, actually, actually, it's because I watched Mac and Me. <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason, Mac, Mac and Me to me is like the the cheesy, shitty Disney version of It Me Mine. <laughs> where it's like, here's this weird little creature. Now we have to learn to all be friends. <laughs> here's a bunch of McDonald's commercials. Now, of course, they wouldn't put a McDonald's commercial in Enemy Mine because that makes no sense. So they had to edit in the Pepsi commercial instead. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say, well, that's that's because uh, McDonald's has a deal with Coca Cola. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, apparently, this was based on a book. Was the book sponsored by Pepsi? No, but okay. th- it's funny because one of the pieces of trivia is in the book, he doesn't find a Pepsi can; he finds a Coke can. Interesting. <laughs> So. <laughs> so you're partly correct. Uh, we were we were talking well, earlier well, too. Well, now about, I up that money. <laughs> we were talking earlier too about how the uh, the Pepsi can is like this weird, offbeat shape, and that's kind of Pepsi's thing. Where uh, when they use product placement in futuristic movies, they make the can a different shape. Because like Back to the Future Two, remember it was that really weird bottle that Marty did not open. And that's like that's their whole thing is like, and I think it's it must be intentional to make the cans that weird shape so that people will remember seeing. Mm. So good job, Pepsi. Yeah, it's a good job. Now, now when I go to the store and look at the price of Pepsi and the price of Coke, and then buy the store brand soda, I will be thinking, "Wow, they did a better job of marketing than those other guys. <laughs> They're both overpriced." <laughs> uh. Right, does anybody have anything else? Enemy Mine? Uh, huge, huge recommend. If, if you haven't seen it like Brian, I just find that strange because this movie was... It seemed like everybody knows it whenever you bring it up and they're like, oh yeah, I remember that. That's a good movie. Like, well, watch it more because it's really good. I, I definitely think a lot of people haven't seen it since the 80s though. And I think people should rewatch it. I think it holds up pretty well. The effects are a little off in some of the scenes. But... It's okay. We should yeah. talk about the, the meat grinder moment before we. Oh yeah, it is very, it is very important to note that a guy just gets thrown into a giant meat grinder in the middle of this movie, <laughs> and then his friend picks up his ear and carries it around for the rest of the movie. Like, did you do this to my friend? He's got a bloody <laughs> ear. It's so weird. It's pretty fantastic, and it's just literally like that. I'm pretty sure they just had like a dummy that they just threw into a giant meat grinder and that's I don't even know why there's a meat grinder there. I know the ear part's the most extreme bit, but I think the thing that really like shifts the tone is whenever Zamus is first getting, you know, attacked by the slavers and Dennis Quaid's character shows up and he shoots that dude right through the fucking neck with that arrow. You're almost not ready for it. You know he's gonna shoot him, but you don't expect it to go straight through the neck means. That's our tie-in to last week's episode, by the way. 
Guy's neck getting stabbed neck. in the neck. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that is kind of the turn moment, and then he's then Squid is taken out, and then he's discovered by his own people, and he recovers and goes back. Um, certainly a different film from that moment. Yeah, for sure. So I'm on the IMDb, and I'm looking at the more like this section. Uh, so we have Inner Space, of course. Uh, we got The Last Starfighter. Makes sense. Uh, Krull. Yep. Uh, Cocoon. Weird, but sure. Uh, Lady Hawk. And The Beastmaster. I mean, I can kind of see Beastmaster. Yeah, I think the truth is that there aren't a lot of other movies like Enemy Mine. Then, therefore, that we're they're just finding other movies that similar people would have watched. Mm-hmm. So it's like here's some other weird shit from the '80s, <laughs> stuff that would never have been made in any decade except the '80s. Here you go. There's a list of movies that fit that category. Oh, then if you hit next six, it has Willow, Dragon Slayer, Legend, Excalibur, Tron, and Flash Gordon. This war games and Conan. <laughs> I don't know how war games fits in exactly. Oh, 80s. 80s yeah, yeah. I was thinking that this is the same year as Rocky Four, I believe, and I think it's interesting that they're both like these action movies that add this weird drama element about Russians and Americans becoming friends by fighting. Mm. So that occurred to me that uh, when Noah said that the Drac languages, or whichever one you said, the Drac language is Russian backwards. Like, oh, well, that's on purpose, right? They were the big bad in the 80s, and it's important yeah. for a Russian and an American to get to know each other and become friends was obviously the, the theme of the movie. <laughs> uh, all right, so we followed that up with Inner Space. Which uh, also stars Dennis Quaid, since we're going full Quaid this episode. Full Quaid. Uh, going full Quaid, but playing it safe, and they're making it all Dennis. That's right. So uh, this has Dennis Quaid. He's a uh, lieutenant, I believe. Uh, I don't know what branch of the military. I'm assuming he's in the Air Force. It's got to be yeah. Air Force, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too, but I'm like... I don't, uh, he lands on yeah. Yeah, aircraft carriers at one point. Yeah. He talks about that. Does that mean Navy? I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, too many branches of your military. Yeah, we got too much military to begin with. Uh, so he sort of uh, seems to be down on his luck. Uh, he's, I'm assuming, been sort of overlooked for uh, bigger roles. So he's drinking a lot, making an ass of himself. Um, hooks up with his ex-girlfriend, Meg Ryan. And then uh, she dumps him the next morning. And then we cut to two months later. We find out he's working on some super government project to see if they can miniaturize people. And the big test is going to be they're going to shrink him down in this little spaceship type thing. And then inject him into a rabbit. See if that works. And apparently he's going to try to take control of the rabbit somehow. Yeah. It's weird. Um, cut to Martin Short, who's a very uh, anxious 
food clerk at a grocery store. Uh, he's been recommended to go on a vacation by his doctor. Um, but of course, while he's at the mall, we see that the lab that Dennis Quaid is involved with gets hijacked by bad guys. And the, the scientist has the uh, syringe with Dennis Quaid in it, tries to run for the bad guys, ends up at the same mall as Martin Short, ends up injecting Dennis Quaid into Martin Short to protect him so the bad guys will not get a hold of it. Because I guess part of the process is there's specific microchips that they need, and one of them is uh, on the actual pod, and they have stolen the other one. Uh, and then, of course, Dennis Quaid figures out, oh, shit, I'm in Martin Short. Uh, does his usual his stuff he's planning to do so he can look through his eyes and uh, clamp onto his eardrum so he can talk to him. And so then he tries to help Martin Short figure out how to stay away from all the bad guys. And hopefully within the next uh, 48 hours or 24 hours or whatever it is, uh, help him get back to the lab and re-embiggen himself. So what did everybody think of Interspace? Not everybody all at once. All right. So right off the bat, I gotta say, I was completely surprised by how much of this movie takes place outside of the human body. I thought this was going to be a movie about a guy stuck inside another human body after mm -hmm. being injected in there. I didn't realize there was going to be like terrorist arms dealers <laughs> and I didn't realize having the guy, I, I did not know Martin Short was in this movie until Have you not um, seen this before. I don't think I ever have. Weird. I thought I had, like I thought I remembered seeing it in the eighties, but watching the movie, it's like, no, I must've just seen clips of it or something because I had no idea there was going to be a guy who's like hand could be a gun. I had no idea about any of that stuff that was going on outside of the human body. I thought it was super weird how they just used Dennis Quaid being inside Martin Short as an excuse for Martin Short to be Martin Short. <laughs> and it's like, it was weird. He started doing like the dance that he used to do like on SCTV and shit. And I'm like, why is that happening? I thought this was a science fiction movie. <laughs> but I mean, it's not really. A lot of what's going on it's almost like two completely separate plots. One is Dennis Quaid has to get out of there, and the other one is they have to stop the bad guys from stealing the microchips. But like, then you get into all sorts of weird shit, like at one point, they, because of magic technology, they're able to change Martin Short's face, which doesn't really make a lot of sense to me how that worked. And then... Uh, they restructured like, his muscles. Like yeah. yeah, that still doesn't make sense. Um, but it's really weird to me how much more was going on in this movie. They're like, a guy got shrunk down, stuck inside another guy, and now those guys have to work together to figure out how to get him out. Mm -hmm. That seems like enough to be a movie. <laughs> and a whole lot else went on here. And I was really surprised by how much of this was just like a slapstick comedy. Like when that one bad guy shows up and they're like, oh, the cowboy's here. And he's literally just a cowboy. And then he goes to like a dance club. And it's like this weird 80s new wave dance club. And there's just a guy dressed as a cowboy dancing in there. And he goes full on, like takes the hat and tosses it into the crowd and all this shit. And I'm like, what is happening right now? I thought this was a movie about 
the mini guy getting stuck inside another guy. <laughs> so I mean, that I mean, it completely caught off guard watching it and not expecting any of that. All right. Well, what did you end up? What What did you think by the time it was over? Um, it was okay. I liked the elements of the two characters sort of becoming friends, similar to what I liked about Enemy Mine. I liked the element of like Martin Short and Dennis Quaid's characters having to become, having to learn to get along because they're very different people at the beginning. Um, and they both have their sort even of... when Martin Short's trying to fuck his ex girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Although yeah. to be fair, we all know what uh, what Meg Ryan ended up doing to Dennis Quaid, so not surprising. Solid. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I liked those elements of the movie, I, and then I, I think I also liked the weird, like James Bondian villains that were just like, oh yeah, like the the comically over the top villains were were fun to watch. It just it did really feel like two different happening simultaneously that was so i liked both i just found it really weird that they were it was all one movie what about you noah uh i like this movie a lot uh the visual effects for the the inside of the body stuff were all really fucking good yeah i agree i, I think it won an award too right won an academy award for visual effects uh, probably because i think it I think it's Joe Dante's only Academy Award <laughs> was for visual effects on inner space. Seems fucking random with how celebrated Joe Dante's career is. But I mean, it's fun. Uh, the the part toward the end of the movie where they inject the uh, assassin in his own little pod into the body and they duke it out. Uh, that is aped in an episode of Invader Sim, one of my favorite fucking cartoons. And they basically do the entire fight, like almost verbatim. Like, just random, random thing. I don't know. Something weird about cartoons and 80s movies that they like to eat stuff. Uh, I wouldn't say this is uh, Dennis Quaid's best acting job in his career. It's not bad. No, it's I don't. I don't think this is supposed to be his his acting tour de force. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think, I think part of the problem is that Dennis Dennis Quaid is natural, naturally really good at being mildly humorous in dramatic situations. He's he's not very good at being funny when you have to stick him in the same movie as somebody who's just good at being funny. Like Martin Short is, like mm-hmm. I don't care if you like Martin Short or not, he's funny. Like he just is. But besides mm-hmm. that, I don't know. Like I, I agree with a lot of the complaints. I think that I wish there was a lot more cool Randy Quaid cruising around inside the body stuff, and maybe Randy, a little less Randy Quaid. Oh, sorry, Randy. Quaid. <laughs> Randy Quaid's in there too. It'd be a completely different movie. <laughs> I'd change things up. Cousin Eddie driving his <laughs> fucking miniaturized uh, motorhome around inside the body. Oh, uh, see, I was thinking uh, the uh, biplane from uh, Independence Day just flying around in there. <laughs> Put them all in there. They should make Inner Space 2, and they should get Martin Short to come back and have Randy Quaid 
<laughs> you scream nonsense. <laughs> the whole movie's just fucking Martin Short having a panic attack because Randy Quaid's screaming something psychotic. Anyways, you were actually making a good point there. I, I think you're correct that the movie's better when it's a science fiction movie about a guy stuck inside a body and not as good when it's a comedy film about a guy trying to prevent bad guys from taking a microchip. Yeah, yeah, and I think the I think the comedy bits are are fine and whatever. I think the the balance is off. Yeah, like I think there's it's just the visual effects are so good that I don't want to go back out to this weird cartoon world that this movie takes place in. I want to stay inside the body the whole time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, makes sense. It would have been a better movie if the assassin guy got injected earlier in the movie, and the whole movie was like a weird cat mouse game with Dennis Quaid traveling through his body hiding from the assassin. That's actually an interesting idea if you made the movie more serious and had it be that and then you could have each one of those guys like in Martin Short's ear kind of like being like help me find that other guy. Right. And then you could have like still you have stupid slapstick comedy bits like they get in a fight in his pals and punch him and he like has diarrhea or something. It'd be really funny. Oh. What if they each took control of different sides of him so he's having a fight with himself? <laughs> right. <laughs> they each take over a testicle and just make the one testicle bang into the other testicle. All right. <laughs> so we're having a nice little conversation about Martin Short punching himself in the face and you had to go and take it there. Yeah, but almost, it's, it's such a... It's a fun movie. It's worth a watch. I mean, I've watched it multiple times and enjoyed it every time I watched it, so it's not like it doesn't have any rewatch value to it. Mm. And it's a Martin Short. Uh, I fucking love Martin Short. Most, I would, I would argue most Martin Short movies are rewatchable. There are some pure, exceptions. Pure luck? I said there are some exceptions. <laughs> Captain Ron? I like Captain Ron. Yeah, so do I. Um... Yeah, I actually haven't watched this in a while. And I was kind of shocked when I went to turn it on. And I saw that it was a full two hours. Yeah. I was like, Jesus Christ, that seems like a long time for this movie. Which I will say, it is a long time for this movie. Maybe they could have edited out some of the... Some of the uh, boring stuff, like Doug said. Uh, I still, still really enjoyed it. I still had a great time watching it. And... Uh, Loved it. Loved seeing Dick Miller since it's a Joe Dante movie, of course. Dick Miller had to make a cameo. Just plays a cab driver for no reason. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I had a good time with it. Uh, seconded the special effects of the inside the body stuff was amazing. Uh, the idea that he can switch back and forth between bodies when they kiss was kind of stupid. That was weird. I didn't understand how he was like in her ear projecting music so that she would know. And then, oh, she's like, oh, just kiss me real quick. And then suddenly he's able to get back into Martin Short. Doesn't make much sense to me, but whatever. No, that that all just is them going, we have this neat idea. What if he gets inside her and yeah. then he sees that she's pregnant? And then, won't that be a neat moment? And it was a neat moment. Visually, it was amazing. Mm -hmm. And then, 
it was kind of a cool character moment. And then they're like, okay, we got to get him back out now. And it's like, yeah. well, that's, yeah, it was a bit ridiculous. It's like, it's almost like that's what would happen in a parody of this movie, not in the actual movie. Well, I feel like in the parody, they would have sex and he would come out of the, uh, the, uh, sperm and then into the, not into in a family friendly parody produced by Steven yeah, Spielberg. Well. I was I was gonna say the funny thing is the parody of this movie kind of does exist. Called Osmosis Jones. <laughs> you got a point. <clears throat> yeah, but yeah, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Definitely a Joe Dante movie now that I'm more uh understand more of what a Joe Dante movie consists of. I can definitely uh <laughs> pinpoint all that. As soon as uh as soon as they started the uh, shrinking of Dennis Quaid's ship and it spun around and made the Tasmanian devil sound, <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's definitely a Joe Dante movie. Uh, but yeah, uh, recommend for me. Like I said, it's almost two, it's like an hour and 59 minutes, which is a little, a little much for this movie. But well, I was going to say with that, I think they were expecting this movie to do better than it did. Mm-hmm. Because I came to remember this movie coming out, and there was this huge ad blitz for it. Like, I think they thought they were doing like Oscar and shit on this one. They were like, "Oh yeah, we've got this. We got Joe Dante at the helm. <laughs> Can't lose." Uh, did he do? Did he do uh, Gremlins right before this? Let's find out have been yeah not very long before this because this is 87 it's only three years after gremlins so these special effects would have taken quite a while to accomplish in the 80s yeah let's see uh he did explorers between this and then an episode of the new twilight zone and an episode of amazing stories and then inner space yeah makes sense which, if you look at the pod from this, it does kind of look like the spaceship from Explorers. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I enjoyed it. I like seeing uh, Robert Picardo just randomly show up as in different movies. So seeing him show up as the cowboy is some weird, vaguely ethnic character. Yeah. <laughs> He's, he's South American. If he'd had khaki on, he'd have been in trouble. <laughs> it is, there were a lot of faces in this movie. Vernon Wells shows up for a little while. It's, it's kind of fun. Uh, Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. Who I, who I think is one of the best 80s comedic bad guys. Yeah. The one that still I... surprises me is Meg Ryan being in this movie. She doesn't seem like she should have been in this movie, but... Not that she's bad in it or anything. It's just, I don't know. It doesn't feel right that she's in this weird slapsticky comedy. The, the Robert Picardo thing so bizarre because I I spent most of my life not knowing who the fuck he was mm-hmm. until he was the Doctor on Voyager. Yeah, and, and then seeing him that often, I was like, okay. And then when a long time ago, I started to realize, Jesus, he's in a lot of fucking movies. Yeah. He's like always some random side character in like fucking everything from like the eighties and nineties. Yep. It's weird how many of these actors work so much. 
Well, Doug, right before Interspace, Meg Ryan did Armed and Dangerous with John Candy. Yeah. All right. Apparently this was her wheelhouse at the time. <laughs> um, I was not really a big Meg Ryan aficionado in the, the latter 80s, so... Uh, yeah, because it was like two years after this, she did When Harry Met Sally, and I think that was the big... That was her That was turn. the big... Yeah. yeah. She not, and then she only did serious movies after that. Yeah, because before this, she did, I don't know, some movie called Rich and Famous, which nobody's ever heard of. Uh, some TV show nobody's ever heard of. She did After School Special. She was in Amityville 3D. Ooh. Uh, she had a recurring role in As the World Turns. She was in two episodes of Charles in Charge. Huh. Uh, some TV show called Wild Side. Uh, had a small part in Top Gun. And then Armed and Dangerous. And then Inner Space. So she wasn't burning up the charts quite yet. Alright. But a couple years later, she hit When Harry Met Sally. And that's when everything kind of. Locked into place, and yeah, it's she, she, pretty she's, hard to get famous off of a John Candy movie because yeah. no one's gonna fucking see you in that movie because John Candy just <laughs> yeah. John Candy's in a movie yet nobody else gets noticed. <laughs> uh, she's still making movies, so if you want to see how bad she messed her face up with plastic surgery, you can wait for a TV TV series called Picture Paris that's coming out. Apparently next year. She looks like she didn't have a facelift. She looks like she had like a skull reduction. Like somehow she <laughs> fucking head. Well, they just, they just missed with the the shrinking ray, and they just got it like not quite right. I'm just saying, if her face gets smushed up anymore, she's gonna look like one of the Goombas from the fucking Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, I heard people say she looks like the Joker now, which I can't disagree with. No, that's fair. Uh, um, yeah, she was cute enough to get Dennis Quaid and Martin Short to fight over her in 1987, though, right? <laughs> oh, she's cute. I, I used to have a crush on her but when I was younger, but she messed her face up. Made me sad. Because <laughs> otherwise, I definitely would have had the shot, right? Yeah, that was the only thing. Yeah. Aren't you glad you didn't waste your time going after her now? Yeah, yeah totally. Just <laughs> be embarrassing at this point for you. She'd be like, "Yes, fifteen-year-old, I will definitely date you." <laughs> Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MN Drive-In Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. No feedback this week. So we're back to our feedback. Challenges from our listeners about how we would fight off some attacker. No, we did. uh, Riku did respond, though, on Twitter. I forgot about that. Let me pull it up. Because uh, he claimed we were all wrong. What? Yeah. Maybe Riku has special knife training fighting. So he says, uh, per my email, 
I think your choices of bat and the knife versus bat debate is wrong. You can take a hit from the bat, and with the knife, you know you have to get in fast. Then once you're in, you just stab. Bat is useless if you get in range of a knife. I, I think you're wrong. Me I too. think stabbing someone to death takes a lot more work than you think it does. Yeah. Yeah, and I really like. I really think that if you get even a, like a very bad stabbing, I think immediately it doesn't slow you down as much as one good hit with a bat does. Mm-hmm. Like you might bleed out from getting stabbed, but right away you can still swing a bat. If you've been hit in the head with a bat, I don't think you can still stab a guy. I mean, plus if you have a girlfriend that constantly watches those weird CSI shows all the time. <laughs> You'd, you'd know from all of these real murder cases that, man, people who die from getting stabbed get stabbed like 30 to 40 times. It's a lot of stabs before they die. Does your girlfriend watch those, uh, those like, uh, true murder shows on, like... Yes. Investigation discovery or whatever? Yeah. So... She constantly watched the ones where like the wives kill their husbands. Because if so, I would be. She, she does. I joke, <laughs> I joke about it all the time. I remind her every day that my mom's the beneficiary of my life insurance. <laughs> <laughs> She's taking notes how not to get caught. We're like, well, this lady fucked up doing this, so I got to remember that. Yeah, and she listens to like my favorite murder and all those podcasts. Mm, I see. Interesting. Uh, Alright, anybody watch anything since last week? Uh, Yeah, a little bit Uh, I finished The Haunting Hill House Yeah Uh, Have you guys both finished it all? Did you guys watch the whole thing? I haven't seen any of it Uh, I did Uh, Okay, so so Semi-spoiler warning Doug (laughs) <laughs> okay. Put your fingers in your ears. It, it's not a plot point. I'm just gonna bring some, mention a, a setup for something that's really fucking cool. There is a jump scare in this series that they set up from the first fucking seconds of this goddamn show, <laughs> and don't hit you with it until almost the end of the damn show, and. <laughs> Jump scares don't usually do it for me. You know what I mean? Like I'll, you know, I I, I might like do a little jump or a little oop or, or you know what I mean, something like that. That I I literally jumped out of my chair and was like, what the fuck? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just so fucking, it's so fucking perfectly timed, and they put you so like you're just you're absolutely not ready for it because of the rest of the show and the way the scares work man it's so good it's a really good jump scare yeah but besides that it's all right i thought it was an it's interesting how the way they change things up you know making them all related instead of yeah and all that. I think it suffers from the same thing that I think every fucking ghost story suffers from, and that is it kind of just ends up being depressing melodrama instead of horror a lot of the time. Yeah. I feel like that was kind of the point, though, of this one. Yeah. Is, uh, show how a family gets like pretty much destroyed from living in this haunted house than more than anything else. Yeah. 
I don't I don't like the fact that uh, you know in the in the book there's the a little bit of insinuation that maybe one of the girls has some latent psychic abilities or something like that. And I think they take that in this one and just go way over the fucking top with it. And it sure. loses, I think it loses its effect when, when you're trying to fucking be like, nope, everybody's got these special things, you know, that's, you're like, I don't fucking care. Stop it. It's like they're ghosts. I don't need everybody to be fucking magic people when there's goddamn ghosts. <laughs> See all the hidden ghosts? I did not. I almost want to rewatch it because uh, even the ones they point out toward the end of the series, you're like, oh shit, I, I completely missed it. Like they showed that like five times and I just wasn't paying attention. I was watching something else. It's like a magic trick, you know what I mean? Yeah, they're really good at that in this series. But I thought it was smart. I thought the ghosts were effective, freaky. Yeah. Especially the one, not really a spoiler, but down in the basement when the kid accidentally ends up in the basement. Yeah. That was fucked. The guy with the cane, too. I think the guy with the cane is oh, yeah. effective in a weird in a weird way. I don't know. Mm. I th and I think it's because you're seeing him from the perspective of being a child, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, you were like, man, if I was a kid and I saw that, I would shit my pants. <laughs> Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I gotta get to it. Then we can have all the same discussion again. <laughs> I'm down. Yeah. The Nelly the Nelly ghost, I kind of called that from almost the very first episode, which that was yeah. a little disappointing. I didn't. But I was gonna say, but I, I think the rest of it I didn't. So I think that was the only thing that I was like, I know exactly what that's gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's good got good atmosphere and it's not yeah. super like bloody or gory or anything so you can kind of watch it with a mixed group if you've got <laughs> sensitive people yeah i feel like it's, it's way more about atmosphere and just creepiness rather than violence and being gory and whatever i always right. feel like those work a lot better yeah but so it was good I'm trying to think if I watched anything else. I was thinking I did, but no, I don't. Maybe not. Maybe that's all I want. <laughs> Would you watch anything, Doug? Uh, a couple of things. So I finished up Fargo season three. Uh -huh. And yeah, I I love the way this season ended. Um, I, I talked before about how I was already enjoying it, but it. Mm -hmm. It really takes some interesting twists and turns. I don't want to spoil anything for people who haven't seen it, but it takes really, really interesting twists and turns as it moves along towards the end. And then there's a time jump, and it's like, oh, you have no idea where it's going at that point. Like when that time jump happens, and you start to realize like some of the some of the things that have happened meant nothing, and some of the things that happened were super important, but you don't know which ones are which until the end. Mm -hmm. And it, it ends there's like almost like a second time jump <laughs> and and then it ends on this really cool scene um completely ambiguous ending you have no idea exactly what's happening it's literally two characters staring across the table at each other and one saying this is what's going to happen next 
and you're like, okay, that all seems rational and reasonable considering the circumstance. And the other character looks back and goes, no, you don't know a damn thing. This is what's going to happen next. And gives his list of things. And you're like, well, given everything we've seen in this show, that seems plausible too. <laughs> and then you're like, which one's it going to be? And then they're like, we're not telling you, assholes. You're, <laughs> it's like, and I'm like, good on you, Shelly. Like, it, was, it was the perfect ambiguous ending. And then, like, because of the way this show works it won't pick up next season it's not you know it's not a cliffhanger it's yeah. just you'll never know probably or maybe they'll be like if they do two more seasons there might be a fucking easter egg in season five where they <laughs> tell you the the answer and you're like oh okay <laughs> but uh i i loved it i'm super happy with the fact that i watched it and just, yeah. i like it when shows have the balls to do something different unique like that and mm-hmm. not enough to I was gonna say all you could say this about all three seasons of the show. If anybody tells you it's predictable, they're completely a fucking liar. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> because this show just goes in weird places, but you just go with it because you're like, oh, okay, yeah. Now that they went that way, that completely makes sense. Yeah. Well, there's a moment in this show. I'll try to say it non-spoilery, but a character decides he's had enough of the situation he's in. Uh, he's, sort of, he's sort of being blackmailed, and he's like, I've had enough of this, so he decides he's going to go into the police and confess to some crimes. And the guys who are doing the blackmailing are like, no. Nah. And they just kind of snap their fingers and enact this plan. And the plan is to have somebody else appear guilty of the crime that this guy's being convicted, being, like he's in there confessing to it, and they're out committing like copycat crimes so that they can go in and say it's all part of the same series of events. And you're just watching it transpire. And as you're, as the audience, you sort of pick up and go, Oh, I see what they're doing here. And you're like, Holy shit. I don't like, he just like, we just had the scene where a main character confesses to a crime. And by like the end of the episode, he's just being released from jail. Cause the cops are like, well, we know you confessed, but we still don't believe you did. <laughs> you're like, that was fucking cool. <laughs> that was just yeah. neat. And it's like, I, I, you, you can't claim you could predict something like that, mm-hmm. but as it's happening and as you figure out what's happening in the show, you're like, Oh, well, it makes enough sense given the universe and the rules they've set up that that would work. And it's cool. So who cares if it is completely logical? Yeah. And you're just like, yeah, I, I dig this Fargo show, man. <laughs> Yeah, I try not to predict stuff when I watch it anyway, but sometimes it just naturally happens. Like, I'm just yeah. like, oh, okay, well, I just piece all that together. I know what's going on. This show, it's like, I don't even try. Like, there's no point. Even if I think I know where it's going, it's probably going to end up being something completely out of left field that when they explain it, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, that does make sense, but I definitely would not have called that. Yeah, Wait, and- I love this show. There are like whole episodes of the show dedicated to things that don't matter, but you don't know if they matter or not when you're watching the episode. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty interesting, like because there are multiple murders that take place early in the show, and they'll spend time investigating all of them. And not all of them are really relevant to much of what else is going on in the plot. Like it, they almost serve just as ways to introduce certain characters and stuff like that. Um, and that's really interesting because when you're watching the episode thinking, okay, you're, I need to know every little detail of this person's life so I'll understand why they were killed and this and this and this and this. And then it's like, no, turns out no, you don't. It's 
but it's done in a way where you you're interested in it. It's always an interesting story. Yeah. So. Yeah, this show is genius. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad that this show exists. Because when they initially announced it, I was like, "What a Fargo TV show! They're the, we don't need that." But then you watch it and you're like, "Oh, this is so much more than a Fargo TV show." Well, yeah, because I like when they first announced it, I assumed that the first season would be retelling the movie, and then it would get renewed and they would try to build off of that story. And I didn't. I had no interest in that. Like, I didn't want to see that. <laughs> then. I don't know, somebody convinced me to watch the first season when I realized they're doing these standalone stories that are set like in completely different time periods. And Yeah, it's, I mean, they're, they're three for three. They're really hitting it out of the park. And I don't, I don't know if there's a fourth season coming or not, but... There should be. Netflix will tell me when it's available for me to watch. So <laughs> They send me, they're, they're, they're getting real good about sending me emails. They're like, remember this show you liked? More episodes are up. Oh, thanks, Netflix. The there goes Netflix. there goes my weekend. <laughs> uh, let's see. See if they've announced season four. What are you doing, IMDb? Well, they do have uh, they do have season four listed on IMDb. Oh, yeah. Doesn't have like a date. The description, though, says the head of an African-American crime syndicate goes to war with the Italian mafia in Kansas City, Missouri during the 1950s. Awesome. Done. Sold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would watch that even if it weren't the fourth season of a show I already liked. So Yeah. <sighs> Good stuff. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I've, I've really been enjoying it. So the only other thing I watched this week was a movie called Hostiles, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of a Western. And I was looking for something, like, because both the movies this week were a little bit more lighthearted than I was anticipating. I was yeah. looking for something, like, kind of dark and violent to watch, and Netflix literally has a section called Dark, comma Violent, and this was the first suggestion. In it. <laughs> um, I feel like this would... Is somewhat of a good team up with Enemy Mind, maybe, because I wanted to see this and I kind of knew what it was about, but yeah, I didn't get a chance to watch it. Yet. So, yeah, so the basic plot line: Christian Bale. It's eighteen ninety-two, so the end of the, depending on how you want to refer to them, either the end of the like Indian Wars or the end of the American genocide of Native peoples. Um, Christian Bale is like a soldier who's getting ready to retire, and sort of his last. Um, last sort of mission is to just basically lead this Apache chief who's dying back to his homeland so that he can be buried there and it's not just any Apache chief it's one he literally fought battles against on the field and he's talking he's talking early about how he actually saw this guy you know kill his friends and stuff and, and I he seems to genuinely generally hate them so you're, you're right, it's very enemy mine in that sense of now these guys are traveling together. So it's Christian Bale and a, and a couple of other soldiers um, traveling cross-country, leading this chief and his family uh, to, their, to, to basically keep them safe and make sure they get where they're going as part of a 
it's almost like a public relations thing like oh we're not committing a genocide look we let this guy live um along the way they encounter this woman who we, she's actually in the introductory scene to the movie where her whole family is killed um so she's pretty fucked up when they find her and she joins them because they just don't want to leave her there and her family's been killed by comanche indians so there's this weird tension between these Comanches are attacking and the Apaches who are now been handcuffed and everything are saying like, you've got to let us free so we can help you fight these guys off. Um, and they sort of all have to get to know each other better and stuff as they go across. But the movie's a lot more complicated than that. It's really like a road trip movie where this is sort of the setup, but now they, stop in various places and they can't like at one point they stop at at a fort i don't remember which fort it is but the the guy in charge there says we've got this guy who's you know headed in the same direction as you can he can you can our guys join up with you guys to bring this prisoner along so that you know strength in numbers kind of thing <clears throat> and so they agree to take this prisoner well it turns out the prisoner is a former colleague of the christian bell character and so you have this really tense interaction where he's he's spouting a lot of stuff that you hear pretty regularly in more times where he's saying like I nothing I did is that different from what you guys did where do you all get off judging me and you start to realize a lot of what he's saying is well not wrong like you know what I mean it's not that different what he was doing compared to what other people were doing or and it's almost like a, a Rambo type situation where he's like you can't just tell me to turn it off. You, you turned me into a, you made me go out there and slaughter up people for a decade. And then you just tell me, okay, it's time to stop committing genocide. Like, how do you turn that off kind of thing? Um, so the movie is, all that is like plot stuff. But what the movie's about is about the impact that this war has had on all these people and how fucked up they all are as a result of it. And literally everybody is just, there, there's no, there isn't a happy moment in the film. Put it that way. The movie's the movie's described as dark and violent, and I think the reason it's described that way is because there are two children shot in the back while running away from people in the opening minute of the movie, um, and then there's a woman who has to bury her own kids a few minutes later, uh, and a, a small baby that dies in its mother's arms. That's all happening on screen as this movie starts and it doesn't get happier after that it's very dark it's very serious the acting is amazing i mean christian bale is christian bale um, mm. probably the best actor working today um just he's fantastic in this but there's guys like, like jesse plemons is in this and he's always good in everything he does mm. Ben foster's in it he's always good it's just it's fantastic portrayal of these characters coming to terms with the things they've done to each other and the things they've done on the battlefield and trying to figure out how to live with it it delves into a lot of stuff there's you know a guy who's clearly suffering from some sort of post-traumatic stress or depression as a result of the fact that he's coming to the end of his military career and he's sort of talking about killing himself and none of the other guys are like they're kind of doing the old, like well, what the hell do we do we don't 
don't want him to kill himself. How do you stop him? Kind of thing. They're all looking at it that way. Um, it's does a couple of unique things that I think were really good, such as having the different native tribes and having them actually portrayed as different. And it's not just, hey, there were Indians. It's um, you know, a it recognizes the fact that there were multiple societies living in North America before Europeans showed up and that often they, you know, they were, they were a people just like Europeans were. There were, there were different tribes. There was, they traded with each other. They warred with each other, just like, just like Europeans did. Just Europeans don't like to admit that now. There's also some interesting things like the, the troop that sets out at the beginning. There's like a, there's a French soldier in it as a subtle reminder to Americans that you probably wouldn't have a free country if it weren't for the way the French helped you beat the British. Um, and I like, that's obviously intentional. There's just, it's not just a coincidence that there's a French guy there, but you have to be thinking about it to pick up on it. There's also a, a black soldier who was like, it's not said, but he probably would have been a slave early in his life, given the time frame that this is set. Um, so now he's fighting alongside the white guys and being treated as an equal, which is an interesting thing. Um, and he, you know, so yeah, really, really good movie. If you feel like being depressed and sad about life, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you do, right? Like, I've I've often said, you know, f uh, film is art, and art isn't always about making you happy. Sometimes it's about making you think, and that's what this movie was. So. No, no cheesy Hollywood like let's let in a let's edit in a romantic storyline or a happy ending, nothing like that that you would see in a big budget action movie version of this. It's literally just a bunch of people standing around going, "Holy fuck, we, we are all fucked up for various reasons." This kind of sucks. It's like yeah. two hours long. It's like two hours and thirteen minutes of that. So, <laughs> um, yeah, hard, hard movie to watch, but definitely one I would recommend people watch if you're interested in the subject matter. Yeah, it's been on my list to watch. I haven't got around to it. It's probably, now I probably know why, because I'm just like, ah, I can tell this is not going to be a happy one. No, and it's it's really not. And it's like, I mean, like, there's just all these moments. There's a moment when they finally get to where they've been going for the whole movie, and they're like, you'd think like, that's going to be the happy like relief moment. And it's like, there's a guy there, and he's like, this is my land, you can't be here. And they're like, no, no, we have, like, an order that says we're allowed to be here. And he's like, I don't care about your order. And they're like, oh, fuck, now what? Like, it's just, it's literally like that. It's like, so, like, where does that leave us? Now we're, what, in another battle? Is that the option here? Like, what do you do? And you can tell, like, none of them want to be in that situation whatsoever. And it's, Yeah. It, it plays out as it plays out. The plot points aren't necessarily what's important. It's the characters that are what's important and the character development. And it's it's extremely well executed. So. Is that it? That is it for me this week. Mm. So it leaves you. What did you get a chance to watch? Uh, we wanted something, to watch something lighter, please. We wanted to watch something funny. Oh. So we watched the movie Logan Lucky. Okay. Uh, directed by Steven Soderbergh with Channing Tatum and Adam Driver. And uh, Channing Tatum gets laid off from his construction job where he is working to help install something under the some NASCAR, essentially the Indy 500, except they call it something else. 
but he's working on something it's like under the whole facility and they accidentally break into like they break through a wall and it's like all these you know those old vacuum tubes like banks used to use and shit well this place still uses it and they have them installed like in the concession stand so like if the drawer gets too full you just drop a deposit in this tube and it takes it down to the to the vault okay so he ends up finding this out and then gets laid off from his job that he really needs because he has a, a daughter and his ex-wife is played by katie holmes and she's gotten remarried and she's thinking about they're thinking about moving out of state and so he's really upset um and because he can't just you know he's broke enough he can't just pick up and move right away and he's sort of tired of his whole because his whole family's kind of got not a bad reputation but they say that they say that they have really the whole family has really bad luck hence the name logan lucky so um, tied back into our pure luck discussion yeah uh it's just like family members keep getting arrested for like stupid shit and like fucks up horrible things in their family um so he decides to tell his brother adam driver they're like fuck it we're gonna we're gonna rob this nascar thing and they decide the only way they could do it is if they break this one guy that they know um that they know who could help them rob it but he's already in jail so they got to break him out of jail and he's played by daniel craig so essentially this is magic mike uh, Kylo Ren and James Bond uh, planning to rob a NASCAR event. Nice. <laughs> uh, Amanda is a big fan of like the Oceans movies, so she likes she likes like the heisty stuff, and this is pretty much plays like that. Like it's definitely a heist movie, um, but it's a little funnier. So they get to have they get to have a, a better time with it. I think. Uh, sort of just a bunch of redneck white trash people trying to rob NASCAR, which makes it even better. So if you see something light and funny, but still enjoy like a heist scenario, I would uh, definitely recommend this movie. We had a great time watching it. And uh, sort of in the same way, like there's a bunch of shit going on sort of behind the scenes that you, the viewer, are not even aware of. And then at the end, like everything comes together and you're like, oh... Okay, all that shit makes sense now. So, enjoy it. Logan Lucky, give it a watch. Um, see, Amanda was decorating the Christmas tree, so we decided to watch some Christmas-themed stuff. Uh, I pulled up uh, Muppet Family Christmas, which I have not seen since I was, like, seven. Uh, and this is the one where they go to Fozzie's mom's farm to celebrate Christmas. And... Uh, this one will never be released ever again because as all the Muppet characters, all the Sesame Street characters show up and then of course they find a crack in the basement and they go in and all the characters from Fraggle Rock are there. So now all three of those groups are owned by different companies. So there's no way through licensing or whatever that they'll, they'll ever release this on any sort of home video format. Glad to watch it on YouTube. Uh, it's a lot of fun. 
Like I said, I haven't seen it since I was seven. So it was a great, just nostalgic watch. Um, and for those who like some sort of trivia, uh, this they sort of introduced the idea of Muppet Babies in this movie. So that's kind of where the idea came from. They're watching old home movies. And it's all of them as little, little kids singing some sort of Christmas song. And they went on to make Muppet Babies like right after this. Uh, after that, I watched Garfield Christmas, where ironically they go down. They go down to the farm for Christmas. Going to say, don't they also go to a farm on that one? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've watched this one since I was about seven or eight either. Um, but it was next up, like the YouTube thing. It's like next, and I was like, oh shit, I haven't watched that in forever. Yeah, let's watch that too. So that was a lot of fun to watch. Isn't that one you watch like every Christmas? I try to. Yeah, big Garfield yeah. fan. So. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, and then the last movie that I watched was uh, The Christmas Chronicles on Netflix, which is uh, the only important thing of it is it's Kurt Russell as Santa Claus. Yeah, I've been waiting to watch that one because <laughs> it looks so good with that big beard. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the movie is schmaltzy, which I expected, which is fine. But Kurt Russell is awesome as Santa Claus. He, I think I posted, he's one of the most charismatic Santas I've ever seen in a movie. More charismatic he, than the Santa with muscles? Oh, yes, definitely for sure. Uh, he's great. The, uh, the thing I like is, uh, of course, some shenanigans happen after these two kids like sneak onto his sleigh one night while he's delivering presents. And so he's got to figure out, like, ah, oh, shit, I got to go figure out, you know, this plot point that will help me deliver presents now that everything's kind of been messed up. Um, but the thing is, he doesn't spend the entire movie, like, trying to convince people that he's Santa Claus, which I feel would usually be, like, a plot point. Like, no, no, I'm the real Santa Claus. And people are like, yeah, right. Instead, he's just like, yeah, I'm Santa Claus. Like, I'm sorry if you don't believe me, but, you know, I'm Santa Claus, so fuck look, off. Fact, look, facts matter. I know it's 2018. <laughs> uh, he does utter the phrase fake news at some point during this. Okay. So that is relevant. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's Kurt Russell's amazing in this movie. I loved it. It is, uh, like I said, schmaltzy, so you get your sort of syrupy sweet uh, Christmas movie but fucking Kurt Russell and the and the awesome beard so definitely worth a watch I had a great time watching it yeah I like Christmas movies anyway even if they are a bit cheesy so yeah. throw in Kurt Russell and I don't see how I wouldn't enjoy that <laughs> yeah it's good stuff I like it they have some some fun ideas of how like all the Christmas stuff works uh, because, of course, that's usually a plot point. How does he deliver toys to everybody in the world in one night? And they sort of explain all that. And uh, the elves make an appearance, which is awesome. Um, then there's a special cameo at the end, which if you're a fan of Kurt Russell will, will make a lot of sense and make you chuckle. Okay. Uh, yeah. Good times. Highly recommend. It's on Netflix. Uh, I would say it's a, it's a good kids movie too. Like kids can watch it. It's not 
there's nothing overly crazy about it. I mean, obviously, it's just a Christmas movie. So I don't. It's like, yeah, it's like Enemy Mine that way, then. You can yeah, totally. Yeah, a two year old can totally come down and be like, who's that? And they want to watch it. Perfectly fine. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, all right, Doug, why don't you tell us what we're doing next week? Uh, next week, obviously, is going to be Killer Cats Week. <laughs> of course. Because um, we would do a show based on that. Uh, so two movies I've never seen, barely ever heard of, one of which we couldn't figure out which version of it we were trying to watch. Strays and Uninvited next week. Um, Uninvited is the 88 movie, not the 44 movie or the 09 movie. or the <laughs> I think We think there might be one from the 70s called that as well. Uh, but the 88 one is the one with the killer cat in it, so that's naturally the one we gravitated to. I think it's killer cat versus mobsters on a boat which is pretty fucking cool, if you ask me. <laughs> Sounds fine to me. Uh, so, that's based on... Saying, no I, get, I get that there are a lot of movies with similar titles, but I put that on there. You guys had to know it was the one with the crazy mutant killer cat. I didn't know there was a movie with a crazy mutant killer cat. <laughs> and you put the you put this, you put the Uninvited on there, which is... I did. Just, I did. I'll admit, the, the, with the Uninvited on IMDb, you don't even get this killer cat movie. The, the, the does fuck it up. Yeah, so yeah. it was funny we were discussing it before the show. All three of us thought we were talking about different movies. <laughs> I was, I was like, trying to yeah. figure out how the hell all those other ones tied into the strays. <laughs> Anyways, we ended up with two movies that I believe you can watch for free on YouTube. So listeners can feel free to follow along. <laughs> yeah, no, no, uh, words matter. So. If you put the in front of something, it can completely change everything. It's true. I'd be talking about Ray Milan next week, and you guys would be like, what the fuck are you even talking about? <laughs> Part of me wishes so bad that we'd all watched a different movie and come back next <laughs> week and not figured it out until somebody gave a plot description. That's not what the been, movie's about. I would have started talking about that killer mutant cat, and you guys would have been like, oh, we got fucked. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I swear that there, I think there's a cat in the Ray Moland one, but it's not like a mutant cat that kills mobsters or anything. Well, what's the point? Yeah, I know, exactly. I mean, now that we know there's a mutant killer cat one that exists, I mean, all the other uninvited can go fuck themselves. I mean, once again, I have to say, I don't think everybody needs to go fuck themselves just because they want to watch a different version of Uninvited. Listeners yeah. can feel free to watch the other versions and let us know what they think. No, I just said the movies could go fuck themselves. I didn't say anybody else had to. <laughs> all right, as long as you're being very specific about who has to go fuck themselves. And it's movies. <laughs> Plural. I just, I just, in general, think everyone should go fuck themselves. Not just our listeners, everyone. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.